this is the data privacy detective and today we are turning our spyglass to business email compromise this is a big subject and our guest today to go through this really important topic is bill rapaski bill is a, uh, a partner at frost brown todd llp it's a nationwide law firm He's located in the Louisville, Kentucky office, and he spent his legal career in the financial services industries, including a focus on electronic payments and cyber fraud work. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Joe, very glad to be with you this morning. Well, Bill, you've been at this a long time, and we're going to talk about business email compromise. You've probably been involved more than 100 of these over the last few years. What is business email compromise? Well, it's probably its simplest form, Joe. It's essentially a request sent by email to a targeted victim asking that victim to direct a payment to an account that is controlled by a fraudster. In a nutshell, it's a fraudulent funds transfer. So if request. I'm an employee at a, at a business, I'll have a, a, a login with a business name at the end and maybe my initials or name or whatever at the front and in comes the email. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, I think that's right. And probably two principal sources. In one case, the fraudster has actually succeeded in taking over, let's say, your email account. And so the email is actually generated from Joe's email at the office. Well, that's a bad they, one. We're going to come back to that one. Yeah, and other times <laughs> it's just from the outside and somehow they know you're there and they send you an email. And, and they're spoofing yeah. you. You know, they'll change a letter or two in the domain name. Mm -hmm. um, so it looks like it's actually from your legitimate email account, Joe. Well, how big of a problem is this? I mean, is this kind of a trivial thing or uh, how big of a problem? Joe, this is a massive problem. You know, the current estimate is that in 2023, cybercrime is going to cost across the world $8 trillion, which is staggering because that would make it the third largest global economy behind the United States and China. Boy, we could lower our deficit. Maybe we ought to get into this uh, fraud <laughs> business. I don't know, as a government. No, I'm kidding. But $8 well, and trillion, dollars, and it is global. Worldwide, that's all cybercrime. And of that cybercrime universe, the biggest component is business email compromise. It, According to the FBI in the United States, it's almost 40% of all cybercrime. It's increased by over 25% over just the last quarter alone. So it's a big piece of the puzzle and it's growing bigger. In one sense, just to put it in context, Joe, you and I, have, we a lot of folks know about the ransomware is kind of the hot, cool kid on the block that we're worried about. But business email compromise, according to the FBI, is 40 time, 49 times more expensive for American businesses or businesses worldwide than ransomware. Well, and you can see why. It's targeted. Uh, it asks for money right away a lot easier than just kind of guessing whether somebody will, will fall. Well, what businesses are being targeted? Well, all businesses, Joe. And kind of to go back to the last point we were talking, if you're targeted, if you're a business who's targeted, we're talking serious money. You know, most of the work that I've been doing is five, six, and seven figure losses. The largest known business email compromise, at least to my knowledge, is $121 million. But well, that's, it does, that's pretty uh, pretty cheap return on an email. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. But all businesses, you're not too small 
to be a target and you're not too big to be a target. And hey, can, can you be targeted as an individual, Bill? Uh, you certainly can, Joe. And honestly, those are some of the what the saddest cases that we handle. Can I give you just a quick example of a common situation where an individual has been targeted? Yeah, go ahead. Let's start with that. Well, if you think if you're an individual and you think about what are the largest transactions that you're likely to be involved with throughout your lifetime, it's probably buying a home. And unfortunately, the fraudsters recognize this also. So they'll either invade your account, invade a title company's account, invade a closing attorney's email account, and then watch for a real estate closing that an individual's buying a home. And right before the closing is to occur, the fraudsters will or may send an email to that home buyer saying, big change, the seller's bank account needs to be changed. Instead of paying the XYZ bank, we need you to pay tomorrow bank one, two, three. And then if the buyers of the home fall for that, they will then direct their money to this fraudster's account. And then at the end of the day, if the fraudsters are successful in extracting that money from the account, you have a individual home buyer or a couple who now owe a major debt to their bank and don't have a home. They're the homeless home buyers. And it wasn't the bank's fault and it's somebody falling victim to this. Well, what are the common threads you see in the attacks? I take it one of them would be customer incoming payments. Can you give us an example of that? Yeah, Joe, and that's a great question you're asking. But And I want to take it from a slightly novel approach. You know, we out in the business world, we have lots of we're flooded regularly about training that we need to do. And we're flooded regularly by vendors who want to sell us a product or sell a business a product. And there's nothing wrong. And there's all those are good things that should be considered. But for our podcast, I've been thinking about, you know, what are some novel approaches to this? And so the first thing is, is that if you're a business owner, and let's use the businesses for a second, think about your funds flow. You have a if you're a business, you're usually producing something, goods or services that you're selling to customers, and you expect those dollars to come in. Um, and the fraudsters may attempt to interfere with your customer's payment, i.e. Right. impersonating you and convincing the customer not to pay you, but to pay themselves. And then you're stuck with the issue of, can the customer actually pay twice, so to speak, if they pay the fraudster once? Another major flow, and this seems kind of simple, but every business ends up buying goods or services from other people. You have vendors. Um, classic example, we worked with very recently a business in one state in the union involved in the automobile industry, fell victim to a business email compromise and sent a significant payment to the fraudster's account that should have gone to the vendor and then suddenly the vendor is very unhappy and not producing their goods and services as, as quickly as they should have. And the whole business has been effect, impacted. And this, this could be a spear phishing attack where uh, the, the person who's in charge of payables or somebody in that function <clears throat> gets an email saying, yes. please send overnight so much money to so-and-so. And they go ahead and do it thinking it's that person, uh, yeah. but it's really not. Is that the typical situation? And, and Joe, you're exactly right. In this one ex last example, it appears that the fraudsters invaded the vendor's email. So they had all the email or all the invoice forms, all the invoice histories. They exactly impersonated the vendor 
and they knew all the little like pet names or, or informal names that they use when they communicate with each other because they've been watching the email for a long time. Yes, they and might they know the convincing. nickname of the person. And yes. Very sophisticated, isn't it? Yeah. And it's all about tricking somebody into making money. So the, the be- more background you have, the better you can be in your sales. How about internal attacks? The uh, you know where somebody actually gets into the system, uh, taking over someone's account within is that is that part of the problem? It is a big part, and right now in you know, beginning of 2023, it appears to be our greatest concern. You know, in, in this situation, just so everybody knows, and how does that work? Take about, us through one. Yeah, please. Classic example, and one that we've got a couple of them that we're working on now is a president of an organization falls victim to a spear phishing attack, like you were mentioning, that allows the fraudsters into his email or her email account. The president doesn't know that the fraudster is there because of their stealthy approach, but they watch and they learn from reading all of the emails to see who the president can direct instructions to make payment to, who's the account payable group. Then the fraudsters also are watching the Outlook calendar, so if that's what they have, to wait for the president to go on vacation. And when she's gone on vacation or on a business trip or or just out away from the office, the fraudsters spring into action and send an email to accounts payable at requesting that the company pay this unknown business a large sum of money based upon the president's instructions. So that's an all internal attack. Yeah, and probably it's accompanied by I, you know, I'm I'm in Europe today, and uh, you know, it just needs to get there by tomorrow to save us money or something like that, and the person falls victim, the person in payables falls victim to it. Well, and another example, you know, classic is the fraudsters are trolling LinkedIn, and they're looking for people who are recently employed in uh, in a company, and it looks like their position might be finance or accounts payable. And then once they understand that we have a new employee in place in a, in a company, they'll start attacking him or her because new employees you know, want to be seen as go-getters, to be supportive of their boss. And so when their boss sends them, so to speak, an email asking for their help, they're very interested in trying to assist the boss in this most unusual request, but they're there for them, so to speak. And you mentioned LinkedIn, where, uh, you know, a lot of people, for very good reason, post all sorts of information about themselves <laughs> in LinkedIn. And they may think, well, it's just for that. But it's not. It's it's now public information, right? It really is. Uh, we have a classic example of the all internal attack, like you and I were just talking about. The president was actually on a trip to Europe. And the fraudsters knew that because they'd watched the wife's uh, LinkedIn account and how happy she was to have their anniversary trip in Europe. And so in the fraudsters email, they mentioned that I forgot to do this before I left town, but you know, my wife is looking so forward to this trip, I, but I need to get this done. Please yeah. send this email or this wire. Well, what, let's look at it from the business's standpoint. And here's, here's my question to you, Bill. What, what are the key things that a business can do to mitigate the risks of these scenarios we've just talked about? I want to take the three different examples. Let's say you have customers that owe you money. Because first of all, Joe, 
you ask the number one question that needs to be asked in this situation. What can we do? It's training, it's technology, but it's got to be something else. I mean, it, it needs to yeah, be Let me interrupt else. you, Bill, on this. I mean, I think a lot of the emphasis, and no one understands why, is has been on the training, that if we could just stop people, individuals, from falling uh, for something that lets the villain in, uh, everything would be well. But we all know people aren't perfect. And so don't we have to look at this as a as a business problem that understands that people will still, still fall victim to clever uh, thieves? Joe, you are exactly right there. Training and more training and more training always has to be front and center, but it's not enough. Not enough. So what can a business do beyond uh, training? Well, let's take the different examples then, like you mentioned earlier on, you have customers that need to pay you for goods and services that you sold. We are recommending that you need to go back and revisit your contracts with those customers. And in those form documents, you need to expressly state, and this is, excuse me, our recommendation is that you consider expressly stating in these form contracts or any contract, the, the facts of how you will be communicating information about payments to your customer, you know, as, such as expressly saying that we are not going to communicate wire trans or excuse me, emails to you advising you of a change in our bank account. And if you believe you receive an email from us telling us that we have changed, you know, what the customer's duty is, because these attacks are not if they're going to happen, but when they're going to happen. And suddenly you're in a dispute with your customer. And from a lawyer's standpoint, Joe, while our contract language is designed to prevent business email attacks, if it happens and you have that language in there, you have one or two or three legs up in the resulting litigation negotiation process with that very unhappy customer. It's a bit like thinking technologically in this current age, like we used to think in the days of checks that seem to be going away, where you, two signatures for an amount over a certain amount. You just have to think and apply that to the world of uh, information technology. Right. And example, another example, if you are the customer that owes money, your business or an individual, and you receive this email from somebody you've dealt with for years that looks that sounds perfect when you read the email telling you that their bank account has been changed for the next upcoming payments and those payments going forward, use what we call in the cybersecurity world, out-of-band verification. Out-of-band verification. Yes. Don't respond to that email and say, are you sure? But pick up the phone and call the person that you've been dealing with down at that company for years and speak to them directly. And Joe, one other point here, the fraudsters in their emails to you will often say, if you have any questions about our change in wiring instructions, please call us at this number. Do not call that number. Call your trusted friend at that vendor business. Right, and one can think of multi-factor authentication methods that one can build into your system and uh, Apple just changed from four digits to six digits uh, for, oh. you, you know, as, as, as computer technology and cracking yes. devices become more powerful. So you have to think of all these things. It's beyond just the individual falling prey to a, a clever thief. Right. And Joe, all those points you just brought up are perfect. And it constantly needs to be an evolving defense because the attacks are evolving. 
Well, that's a great point. I mean, we have quantum computing coming and, uh, you know, encryption's changing and so on. So it's it's a little bit like an arms race, isn't it? Technology, there's no one answer that'll be valid five years from now. But it's right. thinking of being on top of this that's critical. Would you agree, Bill? No, I absolutely agree, which is why I was trying to take a slightly novel approach to answering this by focusing on funds flow. Yeah. And you know, the last one we talked about. Keep Joe, your eye on your money. That's what you're saying to a business person. Well, and you're keeping your eye, but you need to keep your employees keeping an eye. And how do we do that? And the last right. one, I guess we would say, is the internal business email attack that you brought up earlier. Right. So, and there, if you are a business leader, instill in your accounts payable group, your wire transfer department or ACH group, whoever has that authority to send money on your company's behalf, what I call a culture of questioning or maybe a culture of disbelief, meaning that if they get an email from you that's asking them to do something they haven't done before or that sounds unusual, encourage that thought Let and encourage them to get up out of their chair, so to speak, Joe, and walk down the hall right. and knock on your door and ask. Check with a second person, phone call, as you suggest. Well, yeah. Bill, let's let's try to round third base and head to home here with this question. <laughs> let's say you've had a, a, a business has had a, an email compromise attack. What do you do now? What does the business do? Well, it's almost not if, but it's when it's going to happen. And Joe, when it happens, I'm going to suggest minutes matter, meaning when in doubt, call me. And that's a bit of a... a, a so to speak, call me, call somebody who knows how to respond to a business email. Have your defense plan attack. in place be, before it happens. Yeah, you'll have an incident response plan. And there's lots of things you should invoke. Um, incident response plan, notifying your carrier, et cetera. Right. But I think the number one thing to do is to speak to, to a lawyer who's done this before or speak to somebody who knows this before, because the very first issue and always in my mind, is getting the money back. And yeah, Joe, the money. Well, and getting it back. This is a race that I've been invited to, so to speak, or you're, the bring, person you're bringing into the phone call has been invited to almost long after the starting gun has sounded. So I'm steps behind, and I need to intercept that money before it goes to places we'll never get it back. Now, we're pretty good at this. But we are behind, and that's why I say minutes matter. Let me give you an example. I think my largest or my, my most successful race, so to speak, I think we were four or five business days behind a $3.6 or $3.2 million wire transfer that we ultimately recovered out of uh, a province in China. And I think you helped me, Joe, once on a recovery of funds that were somewhere in like the Czech Republic or maybe Slovakia once. But minutes matter. Bring someone in who can, who knows how to trace, follow the money. You know, as you mentioned in the intro, I spent 16 years with one of the largest banks in the United States. And, and we know the banking regs. We know who to call within the fraud departments and we know what to tell them. And there, that doesn't mean... We're the only game in town. There are a lot of people who are very good at this, but this is not a time to send it to your uh, or your regular lawyer and ask them to bone up on this and get back with you in a day or two about what they need to do. Because 
you really need to move quickly. Minutes matter and, and recovery is possible. Well, yes, Bill Rapaski, yes. thank you so much for taking this uh, trip down a not so pleasant a lane, but one that where hope is not lost. The yeah. Businesses uh, and all of us can do things to minimize the risk of this and to deal with it in its aftermath. So thank you for joining us today, Bill. Well, Joe, thank you for speaking to me and let me, letting you share your audience with me. As always, I will remind us all, protecting your personal property and your personal privacy starts with you.